Righteousness. It's a big word. And it sounds so... Righteous. Like we're trying to be better than everyone else. I suppose we are. The thing is, we'll never be righteous. Not by God's standard. We can never measure up. Never be good enough. But we sure like to act self-righteous. That's where the problem comes in. We all know our inadequacies, so we overcompensate by acting better than we are. But the truth always comes out. And that's when people start using the word hypocrite to describe us. When what we say and who we are don't match up, I don't think we should stop trying to be better. We're supposed to hunger and thirst. So go after, pursue being better than we are. Seeking God is righteous. Thinking we are God is self-righteous. Choose well. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our church family that's meeting here at Central Campus. Uh, also those of you who are meeting um, at one of our regional campuses uh, in uh, Airdrie or Bridgeland or in the northwest of Calgary in the Crowfoot Theaters. Um, also want to extend our greetings to those of you who are part of our home church network and those of you who are watching online from Calgary and different parts of the world. We do wish you God's very best. Thank you. We've got one person alive with us today. Thank you. I want to have more of that. Yes. All right. We are in a series on the Beatitudes, and today we're looking at uh, a most appropriate Beatitude for this Thanksgiving weekend. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Now, happy are those who hunger may be the motto of thousands of dieters these days, but let's be honest, we do love to eat. We love the taste and the smell of food. I mean, what is a get-together without food? You can start a group and state the purpose of the group is to watch plants grow. If there's good food, you'll have a crowd, okay? <laughs> In fact, research shows that people who eat healthy but eat alone most of the time do not live as long as people who eat a lot of junk food but tend to eat with other people. And so the conclusion of the matter is this. It is better to eat donuts with friends than spinach by yourself. <laughs> but don't celebrate that too much as you think about enjoying your Thanksgiving meal here because... Those who eat really nutritious foods with friends are significantly healthier than those who eat junk food with friends, all right? Sorry about that, but that's just the facts. The healthy choice, of course, is eating nutritious food, whether you're eating alone or with others. But having said that, we do love to eat, don't we? 
whether we're alone or with others. And the truth is, we need to eat. Some of us need to manage it better, but we need to eat. It's basic to all of life. I'm sure many of you will remember the tragic death of gifted singer Karen Carpenter. Happened way back in 1983. Her phobia about being overweight caused her not to eat, and this ultimately led to her untimely death. You need an appetite. When a person has no appetite to eat, something is wrong. The person is not well. You must have food and water to survive. They are essential to life. Now, in the fourth beatitude, Jesus uses this imagery of hunger and of thirst to teach that just as food and water are essential to physical life, so righteousness is essential to our spiritual life. And in the same way that nutritious food feeds the body and keeps it healthy and satisfied as opposed to junk food, which only fills you but doesn't really feed you, but in the same way that nutritious food feeds the body and satisfies the body, soul righteousness feeds our soul and spirit and keeps us spiritually and emotionally healthy. And in the same way that a loss of appetite indicates a person is not healthy physically, so a loss of desire for righteousness indicates a person is not spiritually healthy. Which leads me to ask, what are you really hungry for in life? What is your driving ambition in life? What is it that you're really longing for? What is it that makes your adrenaline flow, that, that motivates you and gets you up in the morning? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We have this longing, this craving deep within us for genuine joy and satisfaction, which only the eternal God can satisfy. And yet John Piper says too often we try to satisfy this inner yearning with lesser things, like scenic vacations, sexual exploits, sports, hallucinogenic drugs, ascetic rigors, fame, the approval of others. That's, these are just to mention a few. But he says, the longing persists. Our culture tries to make us believe that the answer to this longing is found in the next product that they're marketing. I love the little comic strip where Dennis the Menace is looking through a catalog, catalog of toys. And he says, this catalog's got a lot of toys I didn't even know I wanted. John Ortberg writes, when he took his children to McDonald's years ago, they always wanted the same thing. They, they wanted the Happy Meal. And if they got it, the trip was a success. If, if they didn't get it, it was sheer misery. And he says, what was really strange is that the big deal for my kids wasn't even the food. They could take it or leave it. It wasn't about the food. What they really were after was the prize in the Happy Meal. The prize was a pitiful thing. It was worth about 10 cents. But in their minds, at that moment in time, getting that prize was all that mattered to them. Now this phenomena, he goes on to write, is not limited to children. When we get older, we don't get any smarter. Our happy meals just get more expensive. 
And the real tragedy is, is for all of their cost, they aren't any more satisfying. Our souls are hungry. Our heart is thirsty. We have an insatiable desire for something. And almost everywhere we turn, the grass seems to be greener on the other side. And so we step in that direction for a while. And then it seems greener over here, and then we try this for a while. But as time goes on, we're eventually left just with ashes in our hands, boredom, loneliness, guilt, headaches, and ill health, and broken relationships. Isaiah the prophet made a similar observation thousands of years ago. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? C.S. Lewis spelled out the answer to our frustration this way. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Right on, C.S. Lewis. The psalmist said it best, my soul finds rest in God alone. Now here in the fourth beatitude, Jesus has something to say about this insatiable hunger and relentless thirst that we have inside. He says true joy and complete satisfaction comes to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So what is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about here? Well, before I attempt to answer that, it is important I back up a little and just give you some background. The second, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, we read this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now this verse talks about two truths, two realities. The one reality it talks about are, is about things that are seen and temporary. The other reality talks about things that are unseen and eternal. It could be diagrammed like this. You'll see it in the screen in front of you. Now, as 2 Corinthians 4.18 points out, the realm above the line is invisible and eternal and spiritual. Dan Stone points out that it is changeless. It is timeless. It is the realm of spirit and of God's absolutes. It is the realm of ultimate reality, of completeness and wholeness, where things are finished and settled. Now, on the other hand, the realm below the line is visible and temporary. We call it the natural realm, the earthly realm, the realm that we live in. The Apostle Paul called it this age. It is the realm of creation that has a beginning and an end, the realm of, of, of sowing and growing and reaping, being born, living, dying. It is the realm where we often say, I want to grow in Christ. It is the realm in which we see both good and evil. Whereas the unseen and the eternal is the realm of I am, the seen and the temporal is the realm of I am becoming. Both realms are vitally important to God because he made both of them. Now I point all this out because sometimes we get confused about which realm the scripture that we're reading refers to. 
Sometimes we read a passage and we assume that it's referring to the natural realm or the earthly realm, when in fact it's speaking to the eternal or the spiritual realm. For example, Romans 6 verse 2 says, we died to sin. Have you ever read that and wondered how it could be true? Because even though you're a Christ follower, you are still inclined to sin. But you see, when, when Paul says we died to sin, he's talking about how God sees you in the unseen spiritual realm as a Christ follower. He's not talking about the seen earthly realm and the part of you that's still growing in righteousness. Hebrews 10.4 says this, Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those being made holy. Now if you really look at that verse carefully, it's essentially speaking to both realms. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, those of us who are in Christ by faith are already seen as righteous in God's eyes, in the unseen, the eternal realm. He sees us as forgiven, justified, righteous, even as Jesus is perfect. That is our eternal position, our identity in Christ. However, experientially, in the earthly natural realm, we are still in the process of being righteous or sanctified. Now, in the same way, you see, we need to see the difference between these two realms when it comes to uh, looking at the righteousness, uh, that, uh, uh, looking at how righteousness is used in the scriptures. John Stott points out that in the scriptures, the word righteous uh, is used in two primary ways. The first is what he calls legal righteousness. The second is what he calls moral righteousness. And as we'll see in a moment, legal righteousness pertains to the unseen eternal realm, whereas moral righteousness pertains to the seen, the earthly realm. So what is legal righteousness? In Romans 1.17, uh, we have a wonderful description of this. It says this, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now Romans 5.1 adds to that. It says this, Therefore, having been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These passages are talking about us being made righteous through faith in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. When we embrace Christ by faith in the unseen, in the spiritual realm, all of our sins, all of our unrighteousness, past, present, and future, is placed on Jesus who died to make that possible. And Christ's perfect righteousness is placed on us. In other words, his righteousness is credited or imputed to our account. And as a result, in the eyes of eternal God, we are justified. We are seen as righteous in God's eyes, not because what we've done, not because we've lived perfectly, but because we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us, and he is righteous. He is perfect. 
You see, friends, it doesn't matter what you've done. When you, by faith, receive Jesus Christ in the unseen, eternal realm, you become one with Christ. And therefore, in God's eyes, you are now righteous and you stand legally justified before him. The cost of your sin has been paid by the blood of Jesus, which means your sin is covered. You are no longer under the guilt of sin. In the words of Ephesians 2 verse 8, you have been saved through faith in Jesus. It is a gift from God. You are a new sacrifice in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. That, in a nutshell, friends, is the good news of the Christian faith. And if you, by faith, have received the righteousness of Christ, will you say a hearty amen? Amen. Right on. Praise the Lord for that. Now, a second way that righteousness is used in the Scriptures is called moral righteousness. This is referring to the seen, the earthly, the temporary realm, and the process of daily becoming sanctified or more righteous. Moral righteousness or sanctification is a process that involves turning from sin and from those things that displease God. But it also involves, that's kind of the negative side, the positive side is it involves expressing more of the nature and the character and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Like the fruit of patience during rush hour. (laughs) Or when you're dealing with your spouse or children. Now again, this is not something that you can accomplish in your own strength. Rather, it is something that the Holy Spirit of God does in you and through you. When you hunger and thirst after Christ's righteousness, the Lord will increasingly transform your character. And he will begin to live out his love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and kindness and self-control through you. When you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, your heart will increasingly be broken by the things that break God's heart. And you will begin to pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That injustice and oppression would end. That his kingdom would come and be a reality among us. And that righteousness would prevail. And that you will do your part, however you're able, to make Christ's righteousness a reality here on this planet. Now, I believe it is this second form of righteousness which Jesus was referring to in the fourth beatitude. Righteousness is a gift that comes to those who hunger and thirst after it. It is the gift of the uh, fruit of the Spirit. It is the love of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, the gentleness of Jesus, the self-control of Jesus being lived out in and through us in response to our hunger and thirst for it. Righteousness is the gift of Jesus living out the Beatitudes through us in response to our hunger and thirst for him to do so. In short, the righteousness Jesus refers to here is himself. Righteousness is Jesus. 
You know, in Psalm 11:7 it says, "For the Lord is righteous." In Jeremiah 23, the prophet Jeremiah, he prophesies about the coming Messiah. He says the Messiah will come from the line of David. And then he refers to the Messiah, who is Jesus, this way. He refers to him as a righteous branch. In 1 John 2, 1, refers to Jesus as the righteous one. Jesus is the righteous one. And we are made righteous through faith in Jesus. And by our ongoing faith in Jesus and hunger and thirst for knowing Jesus and following Jesus, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. The closer we come to Jesus, the more his righteousness will flow through us. That's what Paul meant when he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What realm is he referring to there? He's referring to the unseen, eternal, spiritual realm. I mean... I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Have you ever read that and thought, well, Paul, you were still living when you said that? What's he referring to? He's referring to the, the, the eternal, unseen realm. But then he goes on to refer to the seeing, the earthly realm. And he says this, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, in the same way that I trusted Jesus to save me from my sins and, and, and for eternal life in heaven when I die, in this life, I also trust Jesus to live his life and his character through me. And so in a nutshell, if you really want to remember the essential meaning of the fourth beatitude, you may wish to read it like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus. For they will be filled with the life, the character, and the power of Jesus. In fact, if you look down, the word righteousness is used in the last beatitude, the eighth one. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. You could replace righteousness with Jesus there as well. You wouldn't change the meaning. It would read like this, blessed are those who are persecuted because they know Jesus, because they proclaim Jesus, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the degree to which we are filled with the life, the character, and the power of Jesus is dependent on how hungry and thirsty we are giving our lives to Jesus and to following him. Unfortunately, here in the West, most of us have no real understanding of what Jesus means when he talks about hungering and thirsting. Some of us do, but most of us don't. And that is because if we're hungry, most of us, all we've got to do is just open the fridge door and we are soon satisfied. If we're thirsty, all we have to do is turn on the tap and we have cold water to satisfy our thirst. But you see, for the people in Jesus' day, the imagery of hunger and thirst had a much more profound effect because many of them, at one point or another, would have known firsthand what it felt like to face starvation, 
to be so hungry and so thirsty that the only thing that mattered to you, the only thing that preoccupied your mind, the only thing that you pursued relentlessly was something to eat and drink. That's all that mattered. That's the imagery that Jesus wants us to get here. The person who hungers and thirsts for Jesus is not one who kind of sees this as an option. No, he pursues Jesus relentlessly because he is desperate. He can't get along without him. King David, the man after God's own heart, put it this way. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? When I think of, of you know, uh, an analogy that may help, that we might be able to identify more with in, in, in this culture, the imagery that comes to mind is that of a young couple who have fallen hopelessly in love with one another. They are so lovesick that their friendship, their, their cherished possessions, their favorite television programs, their hobbies are all overrun by their obsession to know each other and to spend every waking moment together. Even when they are apart, they think about each other all day long. And they dream about each other all night long. Their adrenaline spikes when they think about the next time they're going to be together again. Isn't young love wonderful? <laughs> Lasts about three days, but you know. <laughs> Just kidding. But you see, there's no mountain too, no, too high. There's no valley too deep. There's no um, uh, appointment too important. No activity too precious. No restaurant ta tab too expensive. All give way to this precious relationship. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for Jesus and his righteousness. And you know, this was the kind of passionate hunger and thirst that Paul had for Jesus. In Philippians 3, 7, if I could just use the Henry Shore paraphrase, Paul essentially says this. Read it for yourself. It's a powerful chapter, Philippians 3. Read it when you get home. Or open up your Bible and read it right now. Paul essentially says, whatever trophies I have won, whatever fame I have, whatever success I've achieved is nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to the privilege of knowing Jesus. In fact, these temporary things no longer mean anything to me because they've been superseded by my relationship with Jesus and the faith adventure that I'm on daily with Jesus. Life couldn't be any more exciting than this faith adventure I'm on with Jesus. It couldn't be any more fulfilling. There isn't a trophy in the world that would mean more than what I'm experiencing right now. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering. Paul says, I'm not giving my life to things that won't matter in the end. I want to fully engage in the adventure that Jesus has for me. 
whatever comes my way, be it good or bad, or whether I understand it or not, I want to go through it with Jesus at my side. That's all that matters. I want my heart to break over the things that break his heart. I want to experience the resurrection power of Jesus in my life and operating through my life. You see, Paul was all in. He had one consuming passion, and that was to know Christ and to live for him. And you just read your Bible, and and yes, he did suffer for Christ in many different ways, but he also witnessed the power of God working through his life in so many amazing ways. God used him to perform miracles. He used him to set people free from bondage. He used him to heal the sick. He used him to radically change the hearts of people. Their their eternal trajectories were forever impacted, including people in high places of authority. When they threatened to kill Paul, he said, that's okay. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. They said, well, okay, maybe we won't kill you right away. He said, that's okay. Because the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. They said, well, we're going to make you suffer. And he said, oh, that's okay. For the suffering of this present day is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to me. That's the kind of hunger and thirst that Paul had for Jesus and his righteousness. And God filled him. And God used him to change the course of history. And so I ask you again, what are you really hungering and thirsting for in this life? You know, I often have people tell me, you know, they, you know, they'll say, you know, I I don't just want to put in time. You know, I want my life to count. I often have people tell me that they want to be used by God to make a difference. The way that Paul did, the way that the Apostle Peter did, the way the early church did as we see it in in the book of Acts. People say to me, you know, I I want to live in in the fullness of the Spirit. I I want my life to reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I want to experience the resurrection of power of Jesus at work in me and through me. People say, you know, this is what they want. They want to. They want to. But you see, want to is not enough. You have to give your life to it. You've got to be all in for Jesus. So many people's hearts today are divided. They're still hungering and thirsting for lesser things. Temporary things, earthly counterfeit gods, cheap substitutes. And Jesus says, if you want to know unspeakable joy and satisfaction, if you want to experience my righteousness and all that I have for you, if you want your life to reflect my joy and my peace and my character and my nature, if you want to see my resurrection power at work in and through you, then I need to have all of you. If we want all Jesus has for us, then we must give him all of us. 
As I wrap up, I want us to hear from someone who has experienced the despair that comes from hungering and thirsting after the wrong things and the power and the transformation that comes from hungering and thirsting for Jesus and his righteousness. Would you welcome Mary Jill at this time? Thank you, Henry. Wow. How you doing? It's getting better every time. <laughs> Take Actually, three, only one more left. One more left. Take yeah. three, and before I came out this time, there's, there's people who have been praying for me, and I, I, just, I just thank them all. One person in particular, a good friend of mine, before I went out and prayed and said, it's not your testimony, it's Jesus's. I'm like, wow. Look at all of you here right now. If you spoke, if you acted, if you thirsted, and if you acted on your thirst and your satisfaction in Jesus, that's a lot of Jesus' testimonies. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for Jesus, as Pastor Henry said, for they will be filled. In my early life, I knew what it was to be physically hungry, not where you feel the hunger in the front of your stomach, hunger pangs, but more boring through the core of your spine. And those of you who have felt that know that feeling. But it was when I was 19 that I really experienced a, a hunger for righteousness. I happened to be dating a guy who was 32 and he wanted way more than I could ever deliver. And I used to pretend to be a movie actress so I could remove myself from the scene protect myself and I hungered and thirsted for righteousness in that relationship because I wanted it in my earthly desires but there was a huge conflict and because of that compromise I started to reach for food to fill myself as much as I could eating tens of thousands of calories in one sitting and those of you who have been there know that this can be true only to finish and sit ashamed, unsatisfied, and stuffed. And I put my fingers down my throat and my head in the toilet. My life was in the toilet. And it started much earlier than that because I had a thirst for righteousness growing up in situations and a family and situations even I put myself into that were a mixed salad, a toss salad, they say in French, of, of abuse. And I started to abuse my body with drugs and alcohol and that thirst for alcohol was just never, ever, ever satisfied. I wanted to kill every brain cell that I had so I would never have to think again, that I'd never have to remember, that I'd never have to feel. And I was listening to one of Pastor Henry's sermons that I heard him quote from Ephesians and that quote just shook me to the core. And what he read was, don't be drunk with wine, in Ephesians 5.15, it will ruin your life. That was so obvious. I love it when the Bible just says something to you that's so true. But then it goes on to say, but be filled with the Spirit. And when I think of thirst and I think of stories in the Bible, I think of Jesus when he was thirsty and he went to see the Samaritan woman at the well. Well, he went to the well to get a drink and I think he knew she was going to be there. And he talked to her about living water. She was wondering why even a Jew would ask him for a drink. 
And he said to her, if only, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water, which is the only water that quenches. And he says later on, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within them. That woman at the well always intrigued me. She actually confronted Jesus and said, you know, how are, how are, what is that living water? And, and she even had said earlier, you know, you haven't got a rope, you haven't got a bucket. That, I can't imagine seeing Jesus and asking him those kind of questions. But she listened also to what he said because he spoke about some truths in her life, some things that she was ashamed of. And she was open to listen. And she was open to confess the sin in her life. And that bubbling spring, do you think she received it? I do, for she ran back to her village and she told them about Jesus and they all came running to see who he was. And when I go back to that quote in Ephesians, when it said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it reads on in the next verse, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. What a great weekend to be talking about this beatitude, thanksgiving. Are you thirsty for Jesus? Do you need to examine the relationships in your life to see where you're thirsting for righteousness? Maybe in your family, maybe, maybe you've got a village where you see that there's a thirst for righteousness. I know I did, and I know God has brought me here to Center Street, and he had a plan for me long before that. And for the last 10 years, I've been working in support and recovery here at Center Street Church, and I invite you to come thirsty and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be satisfied. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Mary Jill, just for sharing a bit of your story with us. And you know, friends, I am convinced that the weakest one of God's children, when utterly surrendered to the Spirit of God, is empowered to accomplish the supernatural. In our morally, in our confused world, many are asking, where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Peter and Paul? Where is the God of the early church? Friends, he lives. He is still transforming lives. He's able to do far more than what we could ask or think. But he has chosen to do it through you and through me, through his children of faith. Those of us who are hungering and thirsting for Jesus are surrendered to him and are filled with his spirit. The same Holy Spirit who empowered and directed Jesus while he was on this planet 2,000 years ago is within every person who's entrusted their lives to him. And he will live out the life of Jesus through us if we'll be all in. He will use us to touch the lives of people who matter to God. He will, to, to, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring healing to the hurting, to, to bring freedom to those who are in bondage. 
He will change the world through us one life at a time. And in all of this, he will bless us with his unspeakable joy. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to meet his conditions. Jesus said, blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. So the question is, do you thirst for Jesus and his righteousness more than anything? Do you hunger to have the fullness of the Spirit in you? To have the character of Jesus living through you? Not for your benefit to to draw attention to yourself or to bring glory to yourself or to show other people how spiritual you are. No. Do you hunger to have the resurrection power of Jesus coursing in and through your life for the benefit of those who have yet to meet this Jesus that we know and love. Are you prepared to repent of your pride and to stop worshiping at the altar of other cheap counterfeit gods and the habitual sin that may be in your life even as I speak are you done with furiously flapping your wings like a bird and instead wanting to soar like an eagle under the power and control of the Holy Spirit of God if you are then I just want us to close our eyes right now bow our heads and spend a few moments preparing our hearts to be filled, to be filled the way that Jesus said we would be. As we've done every week in this series, if God is tugging at your heart, I'm going to invite you to make your way up here to the altar. The person next to you won't mind you slipping by them to make your way up here. We're going to wait for a while, and I'm just going to invite you to come, to come and to be filled. Come and be filled with Jesus. It's really the first step. The very first step of hungering and thirsting for Jesus.
those of you at our regionals, I just want to encourage you to make your way to the front of wherever it is you're meeting. Those of you up in the chapel, make your way to the front. Or if you'd like, come on down here. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And Paul says here, when you become drunk with wine, it's because you are filled with wine. You've surrendered your life to the control, to the power of wine. In the same way, when you are filled with the Spirit, it is the result of surrendering your life to the control, to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is important that we not only surrender our lives to Jesus, but that we actually ask to be filled. And it isn't a one-time thing. The original word that's used here is that we would keep being filled. It is something we should do every morning. We should hunger and thirst to be filled every morning, every day. But it is important that we do ask. In the same way that you receive Christ by faith, you receive the Holy Spirit's filling by faith through a simple prayer. And I'm going to pray that prayer right now. I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud however you feel impelled to do. Just pray along with me. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I have been trying to run my life my way. And that as a result, I have sinned against you and others. I repent, Lord, of my pride my self-sufficiency, and I ask, Lord, for your forgiveness. Lord, I have counted the cost, and, I, and come what may, I willingly surrender my life to you right now. I declare you to be my Savior, Lord and King. I give you freedom to do whatever you want to do in and through my life. I now invite you to take control of my life. Lord, I recognize I cannot live the life the Christian life in my own strength. And that is why right now I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit as you commanded me to be filled, as you promised in your word you would if I asked in faith. Lord, fill me with your Spirit and live your life through me, I pray. I ask that from this moment on you would take control. For I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. My friends, if you prayed that prayer and it came from your heart, then you can know that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You may have experienced a rush of emotions, and that's wonderful, but don't make it the test of whether or not you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Some great men and women of God down through history, like Oswald Chambers and uh, Charles Finney, Andrew Murray were filled with the Holy Spirit and used mightily of God and yet they never had an emotional experience that would indicate that they were filled when they asked Jesus to fill them with the Spirit. Believe that what you have prayed for has happened because on the authority of God's Word you asked in faith. People will experience being filled with the Spirit differently. 
And so if you're looking for an example of a person who is spirit-filled, I encourage you not to look at other people or even to look at the experience of other people. No, look at the life of Jesus who was full of the Holy Spirit. Let him be your example of the spirit-filled life. And go forth, even as the apostles and men of old, great saints of old, went forth, fully believing that what you have prayed for is reality, that you are full of the Holy Spirit and allow God to use you. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and for reminding us that if we hunger and thirst for Jesus and his righteousness, we will be filled. And we will know unspeakable joy and satisfaction within and will reflect the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we will see miracles. And we'll be used of God to change our world one life at a time. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who is still battling, wrestling with you and this notion of yielding their lives totally to you. Show them, Lord, the futility, the despair of the path that they're on. Draw them to yourself in your way and your time. I prayed for those who have come forward, others in their seats who prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. On the authority of your word, I pray that they would know without a doubt that they are now filled with the Spirit. I pray that they, they will never be the same again. I pray that before we get out of bed every morning, we will surrender ourselves anew to your control and give you total freedom to live your life in and through us. I pray that every attitude that we reflect, every decision we make, every action we take would reflect your heart and your mind. And Lord, I also pray that everyone that we will meet will sense your presence in us, will sense your love, your joy, your peace and patience and self-control and gentleness. And as a result, Lord, they'll be drawn to you. We choose to trust you, O oh God, to live through us daily for your glory and for the sake of so many people who need you. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.